0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Tonight I want to continue with the the talk that I started last week on uh, the practice as a path of happiness If you recall, I talked about how the Buddha talked of cultivating wholesome states, cultivating wholesome states and maintaining and increasing them when they arise, as well as guarding against unwholesome states and overcoming them when they arise. So tonight I want to uh, take a look at some more wholesome states that we're cultivating. Because the thought might come to you, oh, okay, so is the idea just to look out for the pleasant and appreciate it and take it in, which is certainly a very important and skillful thing to do. But it's not just depending on the pleasant; it's about actively cultivating certain qualities and states of mind that you're, I'm sure, quite familiar with. But to include them consciously in your practice as a um, more and more an opening to greater well-being. There's the one. I- share a a quote from one translation of the Dhammapada. This is a Thomas Byram translation. The Buddha says, live in joy, in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy, in health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy, in peace, even among the troubled, look within, be still, free from fear and attachment, know the sweet joy of the way. And when you can more and more open to whether you call it joy or well-being or wholeness or peace, or freedom, when you are more and more uh, able to access that in your practice, in your practice here and in your practice in your life, then as you live in joy even among the troubled, you remind others of that possibility. You become a kind of environment of well-being Now, not necessarily if you've got a a big toothy grin on your face and you're kind of uh, skipping down the street and people are really bummed out. There's ways to express your joy. But just a centeredness and an ease and a connection and an okayness with life, more and more that becomes a kind of energy that you share with others. Last time, I talked about three particular wholesome states just as a little uh, recap, and then we'll go on to explore some others. Uh, First, the intention for greater well-being. Remember, everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. And to really um, align yourself with the good and with the, the wholesome, um, that starts to become the context in with, within which you practice. And then we uh, talked about mindfulness as really the key to freedom, happiness, and pain and anxiety, grief and despair. All of the unwholesome states are weakened by mindfulness, and all of the wholesome states are strengthened by mindfulness, because mindfulness keeps you here in the moment instead of lost in some idea about what might happen or some dwelling on what has happened that you keep on replaying over and over and getting caught in. mindfulness. Sees this moment is complete. This moment is enough. This moment is what the Dharma, what life is giving you to wake up to. And we have a tendency to somehow think there might be a better moment ahead. This moment is, it's okay, but isn't there something better? This is a I don't think I shared this. This is a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon that I love. Did I share Calvin and Hobbes? So the first frame, Calvin starts out with a big smile on his face. Here I am, happy and content. Second frame, but not euphoric. (laughs) Third frame, so now I'm no longer content. I'm unhappy. My day is ruined. The fourth frame. I need to stop thinking while I'm ahead. Uh, If we could only stop thinking while we're ahead, we'd make things a lot easier for ourselves. So, mindfulness is the key to well-being. One, because as I said, weakens the unwholesome, strengthens the wholesome, and two, um, it amplifies wholesome states when we're present for them. And as I know a number of people here have reported in interviews, and I'm sure um, most of you can relate to this, when you're really here, it's really. Wonderful when you're really, when you've arrived here, you know that feeling like, oh, why would I need to go anyplace else? Wow, this moment of life is life. And I'm here for it. You know that feeling when you're just, there's not that much that you have to do, not anything that you have to add to make it a better moment. It's like, wow, this is a moment of life. That's when the mindfulness is strong and you're not making an effort to do your practice where you're simply connected with experience. So mindfulness, key to the whole practice. And then uh, last time I ended, I mentioned a bit about gratitude as a very direct way to open the heart. And that when you are feeling gratitude, to be mindful of it, to really take it in, taking in the good, as it's sometimes said. You can think of mindfulness, at times it becomes an appreciation practice where you are appreciating life just as it is. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, it's possible to have that attitude of realizing you've been gifted with this moment of life. And the Buddha talks about gratitude as being a very good thing to reflect on, the the Mangala Sutta, the Blessings Sutta, where he talks about all the blessings supreme. Actually, maybe I'll read a little bit. This is a beautiful discourse, and then we'll go on to some other ones. Let's see. Check this out. To associate not with the foolish, to be with the wise, to honor the worthy ones. This is a blessing supreme. To reside in a suitable location, to have good past deeds done, to set oneself in the right direction, this is a blessing supreme. To be well spoken, highly trained, well educated, highly disciplined, this is a blessing supreme. To be well caring, of mother, a father, look after spouse, children, to engage in a harmless occupation, this is a blessing supreme outstanding behavior, blameless action, open hands to all, selfless giving. This is a blessing supreme. It goes on and on. To be reverent and humble, content and grateful, to hear the Dharma at the right time. This is a blessing supreme. To be patient, obedient, visit with spiritual people, to discuss the Dharma at the right time. This is a blessing supreme. To live simply, purely, to see the noble truths and realize the highest happiness, Nibbana. This is a ble- the blessing supreme. A mind unshaken when touched by the worldly states, sorrowless, stainless, and secure. This is the blessing supreme. Those who fulfilled all these are everywhere invincible. They find well-being everywhere. Theirs is the blessing supreme. So as you- hear that list, did you have a little check, checklist going on in your mind? Oh yeah, got that one too. Oh yeah, pretty good, huh? This is a very blessed group of people. To hear the Dharma at the right time, to be able to practice, and all of those other circumstances that somehow have given you the opportunity to be here, don't miss that. And let the mind go to, oh, just another day. Wow, you've been graced, you've been blessed. So when you reflect on that, to really take it in with mindful awareness, oh, how blessed I am to be content and grateful. This is a blessing supreme. Okay, so. Other wholesome states. First I want to address uh, a question that comes to a lot of people, which is one of the um, one of the themes to explore. What about dukkha? What about all the suffering and the 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 the, the pain that I'm going through? How to cultivate wholesome states in that? You know, gosh, you know, am I supposed to just feel good all the time and say, oh, it's all okay? No, no. Actually, dukkha is one important aspect of life that the Buddha said can lead us to the greatest happiness. When he said, when he was asked what he teach taught, and I, I think I mentioned this uh, early on in the, one of his talks, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. That when you really understand dukkha and how to work with it, it's the very thing that leads to a greater sense of well-being, where you can open to any moment. And there's this wonderful teaching that I love that. Um, very profound teaching um, that's a kind of um, corollary to the wheel of dependent origination uh, called transcendental dependent arising. Has that been mentioned here? No, okay, I, I missed a couple of talks. So on this particular list, it starts with the last few Components of the wheel of dependent origination, old age sickness and death, conflates them into one aspect: suffering. And in this list, it starts out, suffering can be the causative factor for faith to arise. Faith can be the causative factor for gladness to arise. Gladness can lead to joy. Joy can lead to happiness, to contentment, to equanimity, all the way to the highest stages of freedom. Suffering can lead to faith. Faith can lead to gladness, to joy. How is that possible? First, let me just ask, how many people here have been motivated by their suffering to look for answers in life that have led them to the Dharma or greater well-being. Just show your hands. Yeah, Look around. That's how it's possible because suffering shakes us out of our complacency to look for answers and say, whoa, what is going on here? How can I find some meaning in this? How can I, I learn to relate to experience, to the way life is without getting contracted and embittered and lost in fear, that's what you're learning here in a very profound way. And this is something that really opens the heart because the usual response to dukkha that most of us have in the world maybe not us, but most people, is maybe even us sometimes too, to contract and say, I want out. Let me get away from this. And that contraction cuts off the wise response. Out of that contraction, you are just caught in more fear and aversion. Last night, Andrea spoke about aversion. I'm sure you know aversion pretty well. It's certainly a natural response. But there's another response that we are learning here, and that is to let it all in. To bring mindfulness to our pain and our suffering is a profound act. Having the courage to open up to it in that courage to open up to it we find capacities that we didn't know we had courage wisdom kindness compassion all of those from learning how to open up to suffering and when when you open up to it all then you access all of those beautiful wholesome qualities there's a a poem, a Donna Falls poem that I love. It kind of points to this. This is called Allow. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt or containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in, the wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. So to have the courage first to allow it, to hold it, meet it with mindfulness, or hold it with compassion, because suffering tenderizes the heart, doesn't it? It softens us. It can anyway. And to not take it personally, the body pain, the habits of mind, just to to hold it without taking ownership of it, without it being my body, my pain, my problem, then it's just what's happening now. Without adding the my on to it, that makes it much more complicated when we take it personally. And when you can have either compassion around it, oh, wow, it's really hard. That connects you with all the, the sorrow and suffering that, that humanity goes through. Or a sense of humor is another way Wow, it's getting really intense in there, isn't it? know yeah. And when you can humor is is just as good a way if you can access that. You can't always It's not like you can just switch on the the button and just say okay i'll I'll laugh at this." but sometimes if you're feeling stuck and you're just kind of mucking around, sometimes um, you know when you have a choice to either Scream or laugh at the absurdity of it all. You know, go for the second one. Right? A sense of humor really can make a difference. I, I, I don't think I told this story, but I'll, so I'll share it here. On one retreat, I, um, uh, I often have a jukebox in my mind. Right, some people have shared that. I have like about a five CD boxed set of songs that I haven't been able to get out of my head, you know. And on one retreat, I was sitting right over there, and uh, I had it was it was my first three month retreat, I think, and I had this song from Bob Dylan's. I was a big Bob Dylan fan from his most brilliant, depressed period. (laughs) This song kept on going on. You know, old Bob Dylan, Visions of Johanna. And it went on like this. And it went, Ain't it just like the night to play tricks when we're trying to be so quiet? We're sitting here stranded that we're all doing our best to deny it. This is on a, a three month retreat. Right? <laughs> and this went on and on. For one solid week, right? We're sitting here stranded, though we're all doing our best to deny it. It got very heavy, right? (laughs) After a week, magically, the needle, it was the days of vinyl, jumped to a later verse in the song that starts out Oh, little boy lost, he takes himself so seriously. That line came on, and it was like the sky opened up. Wow. That's what's going on, right? Then it it skipped to another song, Take It Easy, a great song. (laughs) Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. I played that one over and over, and (laughs) it just never tired. Lighten up while you still can. So, dealing with your dukkha, you know, it can drive you crazy or you can see the humor, especially if you move from look at my mind to look at the mind do its thing. Isn't that amazing? Then you're in on the joke instead of the butt of the joke, right? Oh, look at the mind. Wow. And to see that, In a moment, whether it's to see it with humor or compassion, take. Pema Chodron has this line. I love this line. She says, Take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Instead of getting caught in the dukkha, oh, there I am caught again. Take delight in that which sees it. There's an awareness. That's seeing it, that's not it. Ah, what freedom. Joseph has a line, something like this, uh, that I like. He says, the not seeing of dukkha is dukkha. But when you see the dukkha, as humbling as it is, there's a freedom if you don't take it personally. And you just say, wow, there's dukkha. Oh, getting really caught here. Ah, take delight in that. Don't miss that wholesome state of clarity, of wisdom, of spaciousness that can hold the sorrow and the pain and the so- suffering and the loss and the dukkha. Oh, wow. Don't miss it. Take delight in it. So, some other wholesome states that I want to mention. I don't know. We'll see how many I get to. And again, this isn't just looking for pleasant stuff. These are things that you experience uh, often, frequently, probably consistently, that if you simply take in the goodness of them will uplift and give you energy for your practice. One very profound state that has been mentioned, not state, attitude can have, is that of sila. I know Sally gave a talk on the Four Noble Truths and went through the Eightfold Path, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Your sila can be a, a direct access to wholesomeness inside. The, the Buddha calls it um, the bliss of blamelessness. I love that line. And in this one discourse, he says, he's talking to about lay people, whether or not they practice. There are four kinds of happiness that, that anyone can experience, whether or not you've, you're, you're on a spiritual path. One is the happiness that comes from being free of debt. Very practical. Okay. That, the second, the happiness that comes when you ha- are prosperous enough to take care of yourself and those loved ones that you care about. Second. A third one is the happiness that comes when you are, have such good fortune that you can be generous beyond your immediate circle. Wonderful kind of happiness. And then the fourth is this bliss of blamelessness when you are acting completely in alignment with your values and you have nothing to hide or feel guilty about or remorseful for. And he says in this discourse, compared with the bliss of blamelessness, Those first three are not 116th as potent a source of happiness. I don't know how he figured that out, but that's what the equation is right there. Not 116th as potent a source of happiness. Our own integrity, you know, it's the foundation, sila, samadhi, and panya. When you are acting with integrity, there's a, a feeling of connection and wholeness. So when you are, say, about to write an angry note to somebody, you know, to the teachers or staff or somebody, you know, and maybe you just hold on for a little while and wait until it comes out with a little bit more skill. You know. Or you're about to do something out of uh, grasping, or aversion, you know, or a quick hit that feels a little bit off, and you don't do it, feel the wholesomeness of that. Or when you act from kindness or generosity, feel the wholesomeness of that. There's something inside of us that knows when we're a bit off or not. And when you slow down, like here on retreat, you are much more in touch with it. This is what the Buddha says about this attitude. For one who leads a virtuous life, it is a natural law that remorse will not arise. For one free of remorse, it is a natural law that gladness will arise. For one who is glad at heart, it is a natural law that joy will arise. So acting with integrity really leads to that openness of heart, gladness of heart, and joy. (laughs) There's a story that... uh, uh, Want to share? Actually, I just spoke to to, to Joseph. I wasn't going to use his name. He said, "Oh, use it because I say it in, the, in talks all the time." Now, Joseph was practicing in uh, 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 sitting with Upandita, Spermese master, and he was kind of plateauing in the doldrums and just you know things weren't really moving with his practice. And he reported this couple of days running. And Upandita says to him finally, uh, I think you should go and reflect on your sila. Joseph heard that and said, Oh my goodness, I'm really, he must think I'm really awful, right? He felt, he started going through his mind all the terrible things he'd done. And then he realized Upandita was saying, No, reflect on your sila, reflect on the wholesomeness of it and let it be a cause for brightening the heart. He said, "Oh, that sounds a little bit better." Okay. Reflect on, reflect on your sila while you're here. Not that you're perfect and often when you reflect on it then you think of all the rotten things you've done in your life that's kind of part of the purification practice. But basically, if you're a decent human being, you're doing okay. And reflect on the goodness that comes from through you, and the fact that you really value integrity. How wonderful. And don't miss it when you're in the middle of a wholesome act, or when you have restraint to not do something unwholesome. Let the mindfulness take it in. Hmm, this feels good. Another wholesome state that I, I don't think you can do enough, that we've spoken about from time to time, but can be a conscious source of, of opening the heart and your practice, and that is um, kindness towards yourself. This is sometimes not so easy. We can somehow find ourselves not measuring up. I gave that first talk on the comparing mind and the judging mind and how we somehow can't give ourselves the same break that we could give most everybody else. But I know that everybody here has had moments, even just a little glimpse, moments of kindness towards yourself. Don't miss those moments. You probably wouldn't still be here after three and a half weeks if there wasn't one moment of kindness towards yourself somewhere. Loving kindness towards yourself is a profound practice, and that anytime you do, you are able to send some metta your way, genuine metta. You are releasing the contraction that keeps you from seeing things clearly. meta for self. This is so hard to do for so many people, but it's simply a misperception of the truth. First, I wanna ask you, Imagine imagine meeting somebody who really understood you, somebody who really understood your hopes and your fears, who really got where you were coming from, appreciated your sense of humor, had similar taste, really got your take on the world. How would you feel about meeting someone like that? Wouldn't you be delighted? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. One person who really understands your hopes and your fears and your insecurities. One person that really gets who you are. Unfortunately, they're right inside your body. But if you met yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, where have you been all my life? (laughs) (laughs) Finally, I found someone who gets it. So to see see yourself from another perspective really can open you up to all the love that the people who care about you feel for you. It's just a misperception, you know uh, Albert Einstein has this this uh, phrase he says we live in an optical delusion of consciousness it's just from where we are standing we don't see the truth. so I want to share with you <clears throat> since I have the the chance to a little meta practice for self that I um, Came upon while well, practicing here. I was doing like a, a six-week um, Brahma Vihara practice, and I was doing um, doing metta for, my, for myself the first week or so. You know, that's usually how you, you start out. And I was doing it. I was doing okay. You know, I wasn't giving myself a hard time. Just you know, just saying, you know, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy be peaceful over and over. And it was okay. It wasn't great, but I was kind of hanging in there with it. And then after um, oh about three days, somebody came into my mind who I knew really loved me. And the thought came to me, God, this would be so easy if I saw what they saw. And then I asked myself, what do they see anyway? Why do they love me so much? And that's when I kind of hit upon this practice that that really was a profound moment, has been a profound moment in my own practice. So I want to offer it to you. Just close your eyes for a moment. okay? And uh, bring someone to mind who you share a really loving connection with, not a complicated relationship if that's possible, just somebody who you both enjoy hanging out together and there's an easy flow between you. And imagine they're right here in front of you, and so you can kind of feel that loving flow, that easy flow that you share. First, let yourself enjoy that. And it can be, by the way, it can be a friend, it can be a pet, it can be a child, any being who you share a loving connection with It's okay. And now, as you have them in your consciousness, just imagine for a few moments inhabiting their reality and seeing through their eyes or from their perspective who they see when they're with their friend? Why do they enjoy being with you? Notice all the different qualities that touch them. Maybe your kindness or your playfulness or your your sincerity or creativity, or all of it. Don't miss it. Take it all. As one poet says, drink yourself in. Really get what comes out of you that touches your friends. And first, see if this person, their friend, called you, deserves to be happy and treated well. And also the fact that the more that you're in touch with that happiness, your kindness, the more all your qualities shine through you, just naturally, unobstructedly. And you might just send a little bit of loving kindness from that perspective, from your friend's perspective. May you really be happy. May you see all the goodness inside of you. May you share your love well. And now, let your consciousness come back right inside your body, and from the inside, stay connected to those qualities. Continue to send those thoughts of kindness to yourself. You can either say it, may you or may I, whichever one feels right, be happy. May I feel all the goodness inside. May I share my love well. And again, realizing that Even if the conditioning says otherwise, when you can be kind to yourself, then all of your good qualities shine through naturally. Okay, if you like, you can open your eyes. If you got even a glimpse of kindness towards yourself, then what I say is the jig is up you can't pretend you don't have that capacity. And then it's more and more letting yourself feel that and access that more and more. Because that's who your friends see Even if you don't realize it, even if you think, "Oh, everybody, I've I fooled everybody." No, they see you in a way that you you're just seeing yourself through your flaws. They see what comes out of you, whether or not you realize it. You just kind of have misperceived the truth. So, any time that you have a moment of kindness towards yourself, or caring, or compassion, or appreciation. For what you 're going through and the fact that you 're going through it, then um, feel the wholesomeness of that in feeling it and and cultivating it you 're increasing that connection in your mind hmm. I have this this pillow at home that uh, my wife gave me it says uh, My goal in life is to be the kind of person my dog thinks I am. It's great. I love that. Your dog, if you have a dog, your dog knows who you are. Are you trying to impress your dog? No, they just love you anyway, right? or your cat, or whoever. (laughs) Just be the person that other people realize that you are and don't squirm out of it. Mm. Another way, by the way, to, to take in the kindness and the love coming your way, a very uh, powerful practice, I find, uh, that I was first inspired by uh, John McCransky's book, Awakening Through Love. He says, um, you can see everybody around as your benefactors. And if you can, this is what I've done with this practice, anytime there's somebody who's holding a door for you or maybe smiling at you, you don't have that much opportunity here, don't go around smiling at everybody and trying to get their attention. But if it comes naturally, anytime there's any kind of benevolent energy coming your way, don't miss it. Take it in, feel the connection, and also what I do is see them as agents of life letting you know that you're loved. It's just life letting you know that you're loved, a smile coming your way, a kind word. Don't miss it. Take it in. We can be so distracted by the next thing, not realizing, oh, life is saying, you're deserving of some kindness. This is a, and feel the wholesomeness of it. Let it fill you. You can't hold it all anyway. So you, did what to do other than just you know you send it out. So this is another wholesome state to just be present for when it's when it's here, or you can incline your mind that way. Mm. And I, I won't. Get into now as far as uh, the wholesome states of actively sending loving kindness to others or compassion or caring um, or sympathetic joy. But all of those, anytime you're feeling a little bit of kindness towards somebody, feel the wholesomeness of it. I'll just mention that now. Anytime you see somebody who's in pain, and the heart opens with caring and compassion. Feel the wholesomeness of that too. So you're both feeling it, but the, you're you're connected with that other being, but you're bringing mindfulness to feel that wholesome quality. Oh yeah, this is a good thing. When you're feeling joy inside, to not miss that. Oh yeah, this too. The The two other states I want to explore in the time we have left are, um, I'll just do one at a time. First, the wholesomeness of letting go, the mind that can let go. This is the, the movement from the second noble truth to the third noble truth. Every time you're able to let go, ah, notice it. Every time you don't follow the craving or act on desire, notice it. As an example, for instance, you're you're walking, I think this was mentioned before, and uh, you're doing the walking meditation and you have an urge to look at somebody. And you think you're going to go crazy if you don't look that, look at them? Okay, just experiment and see what it's like to not look. Right. It's kind of like uh, I, the image, you know, in the Odyssey. Uh, Ulysses, they tie him up to the mast as he's going past the sirens, you know, and he's saying, "Whatever I do, whatever I say, don't let me go. Don't let me do it," you know and he goes past the sirens oh let me go let me go let me go and they then he goes they, they don't let him go and he goes past the sirens oh yeah okay well you can play around like that with your <laughs> desires you know oh i'm going to die if i don't look at this person you know or if i don't go for whatever it is that second helping of dessert or whatever oh <laughs> And they just see if you survive it. You know? <laughs> and when you do, feel great. Oh, I didn't have to give in to that one. Not that you're trying to be some kind of holy person or saint, but every time you're able to not buy into the craving, ah, feel good and take it in. In the... Uh, In the teachings, wise intention is actually, one aspect of wise intention is renunciation, is letting go. This is what leads to true happiness, simplifying, where we don't have to act on every impulse or craving. Here there aren't that many things to crave. It's basically lunch or whatever else is, you know, whatever, a good Dharma talk but what we can also let go of are the thoughts that come through our mind. Letting go of our ideas, letting go of our expectations, what should be happening, what shouldn't be happening, how I should be doing this practice better. Those are all stories that miss seeing the truth. The truth is, it's all happening on its own and you don't control the script. So this is really letting go of the control that you never had in the first place. And it's a great relief. It's such an incredible relief to let go of thinking that you can write the script of your retreat or your unfolding. You don't have any control over how mindful or concentrated you are. I think I've said this before. Just the willingness to show up as best you can. And if your body goes through what it goes through, If you say, stop, you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling. You're missing the point. You're missing the selflessness of the process. And that just creates a lot of problems. You let go of figuring anything out. This is a big one. We have all kinds of ideas. If I can just sort this out and come up with the answer, I'll be what? at ease, at peace. How many times have you tried to figure it out and it's just the way you thought it was? Usually figuring it out or trying to just spins you around more and more and more. Especially if you have the question, why? Why is this happening? Forget it. And if you do end up figuring it out, then you just kind of can pat yourself on the back, pretty clever, you know? An insight happens when you're not figuring it out at all. Have you ever noticed that? When all of a sudden something becomes apparent, you say, oh, wow. In order to have an aha experience, it means you were not figuring it out. Then it came new. Here's uh, Somebody somebody wrote me. I don't think I read this uh, from the... The very uh, first retreat she was doing, and she was giving herself a really hard time, and going around and around trying to figure everything out, and then finally she wrote this at the end of the retreat when she really got it. The one thing that is now indelibly in my brain is finally realizing you don't have to figure it out. That would never ever register in my brain as an option before. Yesterday, I was walking and struggling in my brain, thinking round and round, and this voice came into my mind that said, you don't have to figure it out. And I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. It's another miracle of mindfulness where you don't have to figure it out. You just come back to this moment and let go of that analytical mind, and everything will balance itself out in its own time. So this is a big one, letting go of knowing or figuring out. There's a line in the Third Zen Patriarch. It says, um, stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Isn't that how it works? Oh, wow. And for me, when I get caught, I simply ask myself, when I remember, what thought am I believing right now? Sometimes I'll ask, what story, if it's a full-on story, what story am I believing right now? And as soon as I ask myself, I realize, oh, I've just created this complication that I bought into that is wrapping me around in tight ropes. Letting go is a very wholesome thing to do, and every time you can let go of figuring it out or let go of control or let go of your shoulds or your shouldn'ts or your I should be this way or that, notice it and feel how good it feels. The wholesomeness of letting go. Don't miss it. Ah, gee, great. I let go of figuring it out. I'm right here again. How cool. In that letting go of control that you never had in the first place, what you're really opening up to is what Guy spoke of the other night, unentangled knowing, or what I call the joy of simply being. And that's a state that's not about cultivating. You're not trying to cultivate anything. It's different than cultivating loving kindness or cultivating compassion or cultivating um, sila. This is... Letting go of all doing. Letting go of the doer to just simply be. And in that letting go, something quite extraordinary happens. There's ease. There's peace. There's relaxing in the moment. There's resting in the awareness. And this is a very wholesome state. This is a wholesome state that makes the practice just not only what it is, but a fun ride. That you don't have to figure out or make anything happen. You're just here for the ride. When I say fun ride, not that every moment is fun, but that you let go of controlling the script and you can just open to the moment with a spacious awareness that's not manipulating anything, and that what it does require is a real sense of trust that it's okay for things to be the way they are. Uh, the The image that I I have is like. Um, learning to swim. You know when you, when you first learn to swim and somebody puts, puts you in the water and it's kind of scary and you're just kind of like going up and down and you're bobbing and going under and, the, and they say, just relax, just relax. You say, relax, I'm going under here, right? And they say, just relax. And after a while you might kind of get the idea of treading. You say, oh, this is much better. Oh. a lot less struggle, okay? And then there's that magic moment where you relax completely, and you let go. And you just float. And you realize the water was able to hold you all along. And as soon as you stop all your struggling, you're held, you're carried. Going from flailing to floating. That's a very big leap of faith and transition into simply being. Trusting in life. Trusting in the awareness. Trusting that you don't have to do or make anything happen. It's not up to you. That life is not happening to you, but it's happening through you. That life is happening through you, through this form, and as you. And when you can relax in that being, you know, it takes some effort to get here, no doubt, to kind of come on back. But once you land in the moment, any kind of effort is extra. Any kind of effort takes you out of the moment. That's a time to just simply be. And in that being, you open up to something quite mysterious. That it's always been here, and the awareness that knows has always been here without you having to manufacture anything. I'll close with This poem, another Dana Falls poem, and want to remind you, notice all the wholesome states when they arise. This is the wholesome state of the joy of being, unentangled knowing. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning, and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you already are. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. So let's sit for a moment. Nothing to be, but what you already are. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth.